0: Welcome in to episode 319 of the Sources A podcast. Your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. I am your host Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue, Blue Country. Sean, uh you and I have been enjoying uh re- reading some of these comments leading up cuz see I don't get it like we're we're eight oh five. We're five minutes late on the dot every single time. That's our on time, and people still just don't get it. They just don't understand it. But I uh, w- w- I have been having a lot of fun reading some of these
1: comments. It's been a blast because we have a lot of really really fun stuff to talk about, Sean. Yeah, we on, we say eight o'clock just so you all get here. Like <laughs> we're here we're here at like seven fifty five, but we just gotta do the mic check, lighting check. I usually say something funny about my background and my poster. I have to fix it. So, like, it, it takes me a minute. But 8.05, here it is, Jack, 8.05 on the dot if you're in the Eastern time zone. We'll, we'll see where everybody else is at. But Kentucky built on the win against Alabama, and they won a shot at the horn or want a game at the horn. Like, you were there. You went to Starkville without me. I don't know. I thought that was something maybe me and you discussed that we would never do without each other, but the circumstances you had to go, I couldn't go. And I'm I'm glad that you returned with a victory. You and Stephen both. You know, Stephen and I had been on a streak of like 47 straight
0: trips without a win, or so it felt. Um, And we joked after the, I can't remember if it was Alabama, no, because it was the road trip home. No, so the Auburn one was last week. That was a fun road trip back home. And then this one, uh, Stephen joked afterward that, man, I'm glad that you didn't have to experience me on the way back home, seven hours, riding in a car of him, just white knuckling it, just, yes, we're all very, very glad that that scenario did not uh, unfold. And we have unbelievably happy things to talk about. 91-89 victory in Starkville. Originally the house that Dante Allen built, now Reed Shepard's home, uh, Reed Shepard's official residence down there in Starkville. The hump was absolutely popping. We had a blast down there. We'll talk about uh, just the crazy journey, getting down there, getting home. Steven and I went through backyards and uh, red dirt roads, and it was just the most ridiculous trip to and from that I've ever been on. But the actual substance itself couldn't ask for a more fairy tale. Uh, experience Kentucky getting down by as many as 13 early in the second half Uh, and then Reed Shepard just kind of willing Kentucky to victory Rob Dillingham having his some you know some of his moments uh hitting some clutch shots to put Kentucky kind of back in it and then Reed just basically taking over uh the last couple minutes of the game and finally hitting the game winner the first uh Steve and I talked about this and I wrote uh, like I, I compiled like 25 buzzer beaters and game winners across Kentucky's uh history and I think the last true buzzer beater with zero 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 on the clock, I believe, was Eric Daniels in 0-4 right back there in Starkville. So we didn't get exactly that with point point five seconds left, but uh, it was a buzzer beater. Uh, you you can't get anything better than that, man. Uh, just an absolute blast. The the Reed Shepherd Show, Sean.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm still laughing at the, the comments because everybody is like Sean put his poster back up like like I take it down after losses, <laughs> but no, it's actually just the same off it's it's a different off white wall <laughs> that I use sometime on Sundays. The poster never comes down, but yeah, you, you mentioned him. Where's he at there? The man in the middle, Reed Shepherd. Holy cow, what a performance! Still couple of things defensively that we'll get into some early ball watching that led to back door after back door after back door and i'm like what in the world are you doing Reed? even cal every defense possession was like arms up like but offensively then got a block at the end the stretch to close of the free throw line the shot to win it like jack i have sat here since tuesday night And I have actually talked myself into that just for what he is collectively, offensively, all the stuff that's thrown into it, the three-point percentage, the free throws and clutch moments, the passing, the vision, this big play shot making, the body control, the stuff at the rim. When you're talking complete offensive basketball player in the John Calipari era, he's up here. Like this – the stuff that he does, in the way that he does it, in the pace that he plays with, doesn't get sped up, especially late in the game. There, it's a freshman. I know he makes some plays every now and then it makes you scratch your head, but he always, like, bounces back with two really good plays. I got to, he's at the top to me when it comes to to freshmen in the in the in the Kentucky in the Calipari here And that's what was so crazy because being there.
0: The so there was a baseball game going on right next door, and and so we'll talk about just Starkville itself and the kind of bad reputation it gets, and it it's deserved. Like it's the road to get there, how you get to Starkville, awful. Like among the worst places in America, maybe even all of the, the entire world, awful. Like it, do, it doesn't get worse than than that two hour stretch from Southwest Tennessee down through Tupelo and into Starkville. It does not get worse. There's nowhere else in America that is worse, but. To Starkville's credit and to Mississippi State's credit, campus is pretty damn cool. And it's actually, like, beautiful. We were kind of hitting it at the right moment where sun was coming down a little bit, and it was kind of hitting the water. There's a pond. It's like there's a pond in the middle of all the athletic facilities, and uh, it kind of creates this, like, like avenue of champions of sorts where you have the baseball stadium right there, the hump right next door. You have the state of the art football practice facility, baseball facility, all the different things kind of surrounding this area. It's beautiful. Really, really awesome looking campus to very much mask everything outside of that. So um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that, but the, uh, the baseball stadium, there was a game going on um, like middle of the fifth inning by the time we got there and we walk in and there's white, you know uh, t-shirts everywhere and the student section is filled from top to bottom but there's like a surprising amount of empty seats in there and i was like hmm i thought this thing was sold out and i thought it has been sold out for a minute now uh i don't think this environment's going to be kind of what it's cracked up to be so i guess i i don't know if there was just like this back-to-back doubleheader that fans had been planning for where they went straight from the baseball game to the basketball game right next door. But it was like a sea. As we got to tip off, it was like a sea of white t-shirts just entering the building and just filled from top to bottom. And it created a really, really cool environment where you could tell the DJ was in it. The house DJ was in it. They had all the cheers and chants prepared. Like it was a Super Bowl. Like I love Auburn, Auburn, you know, kind of its own beast, but man, when, when the hump was rocking, it was humping. Like, I mean, it was, it was, they were getting after it in there. So when Kentucky gets down 13 or even like we can backtrack to the first half, every time, there was a legit, legitimate, tangible opportunity for Mississippi State to kind of take control of that game where we've seen this team crumble in several different opportunities. It just felt like Reed Shepard dagger here, uh, Aliyouk to a Thero here. It's just like they had a counterpunch to every little thing. And like, even just go to the end of the first half where Mississippi State gets it up, uh, you know, gets it uh, up to eleven, and it kind of feels like the wheels are falling off. And even DJ Wagner's, uh, may, you know, catch and shoot three to close out the half, just to kind of give Kentucky a chance to take a deep breath and say, you know, it's kind of hit reset. They get back down thirteen, and it's just immediate dagger after dagger after dagger. You know, the Alabama game was impressive in its own right, Sean, because you just kind of beat the brakes off of a a team that has an offensive identity the way uh, Alabama has. You beat them at their own game. That was impressive in its own right. But to do this in this environment with their backs against the wall down 13 to kind of just chip and chip and chip and claw back to what they were able to do down the stretch leading by eight in the final minute. Like, I mean, that was. I mean that takes that that took some guts that took some stones. This was a really really gutty performance for Kentucky, and obviously Reed Shepard's the star of the show there. But I mean, just being there and experiencing it, I thought there were five or six opportunities. I was like, yeah, this might just this just might not be Kentucky's night, and they just kind of kept proving that wrong and just kind of doubling and tripling down on uh, you know their responses. Just really really uh, impressive gutty effort.
1: Yeah, you you've seen two entirely different environments in Starkville. Me and you were there when no one was in the building but us. And then you were there, obviously, this week where the environment was great, which when it's great, it makes it even more impressive that Kentucky just hasn't lost there in a very long time because that's that's a really good environment when it's juiced up and and jacked up and they're excited. And the way Kentucky got down early and then – the late like the shots that Mississippi State made late in the first half Kentucky kind of just trying to match it just to stay within striking distance and then you foul on a made three pointer there to start the the second half and then you find yourself down double digits and then you go up and then here they come again and making a push like getting out of there in regulation was very important because Absolutely. it felt like the way that they were making shots that it, it eventually at some point it was going to swing back, but Reed Shepard made shots. Rob Dillingham made shots. Antonio Reeves made shots. Like great environment, great win. We've been talking about winning games in different ways, and we we watched Kentucky do it. Auburn lost at the horn to LSU, but it just shows you what hitting one and missing one can kind of do for you. You have a completely different feeling waking up the next morning, and it's basically the same game and stuff. We're not not the same game like things happening, but you're about a point off. So the way they went at Auburn, come back and just demolish Alabama. You trail by double digits multiple times in Starkville. You have some resolve about you. You find a way to win. It's winning in different ways, and we're starting to learn some stuff about this team here that they can kind of do it in different in different fashion. And just building on it, being consistent. If Had they lost that one, you would have been in this whole limbo mode again where – you, you win one, you win one, you're impressive, and then God, you lose another one on the road. I think just getting that one and building some consistency is big. Now you come into a home game this weekend where you want to take care of business and then really start taking steps and multiple steps forward.
0: So there's this, you know, uh, a stand up that Dave Chappelle does, and he talks about how sometimes you have to ex- just accept when you are in somebody else's moment, when you're in their movie. And like you know, you talked about him being a you know a celebrity, and how there are t- there are times that he'll be you know have the microphone in his hands at you know Madison Square Garden or something, and he'll look out and he'll be like, man, I'm living in my movie, I'm living in my moment. But there are other times in life that things don't go your way, or you're kind of in a rough spot, and you see somebody else kind of shining in their own spotlight, and you kind of just have to accept that you're in you're in their movie for a change, you're in their moment. And it kind of felt like that's what we were getting with Josh Hubbard down in Starkville, where it just felt like every big shot and big moment, you know, that last stretch where he was just coming down and just hitting big shot after big shot after big for him to kind of bring the team back from down eight, the shots he were he, you know, he managed to hit, it kind of felt like we were like, oh man, it kind of feels like this is gonna be the Josh Hubbard day. Like this is gonna be. The, you know, his career defining moment, it felt like it felt like we were living in his moment. And I almost had that sense where it got even when when Kentucky got up eight in that last minute, and, and we kind of saw those responses, I even kind of had a moment where I was like, what happens when we lose this game? Is it gonna like, are we going to turn this into a how did Kentucky choke up eight? I mean, it would have been. But how much can you just lean on what Josh Hubbard did from start to finish to career performance? He is just coming off, you know, co SEC freshman of the week honors. Like maybe this is just his time and we just kind of have to take a step back and enjoy his show. Instead, we got the opposite of that. We got Reed Shepard having his moments and the block, you know, every, every, you know, obviously the shot, everybody focuses on the shot, but there's so much little, you know, knit nitpicky thing here and there that he did up to that point, minus the egregious turnover that I'm I'm sure you made you pull your hair out. But there were so many other little things that he did up to that point where you're like, you know, we're actually living in Reed Shepard's moment with this is his movie. And for him to get that moment, 0.5 seconds left the first buzzer beater and who knows how long game winner. I mean, one of 25 that I counted that were up there among the best of the best in this program's history that, you know, you reach immortal status when you hit a shot like that. Like even EJ Montgomery, who his career was what it was. He kind of had that immortal status with the game winner in Gainesville. Like once you kind of have that moment, you're etched in the history books forever, no matter what happens before that and after that. So Reed now has that moment that the pictures with Jeff afterward and, you know, them hugging each other. It just felt like a day in a moment that we will remember for the rest of our lives. So the, the, However long we're doing this for decades and decades and decades, we will remember
1: the Reed Shepard game down at Starkville. Yeah. And the way he wanted the ball. How cool down the stretch. And, and when you go back and watch the final possession, he wanted the ball. Rob wanted the ball. Antonio was kind of shaping up to, to get it. It was probably going to, have, it was going to have to be a deep three, had the ball gone there. So it went to the right spot. But that showed me, you know, Cal's been saying we're built for March. Hands like this in a tie game, somebody clapping here, that's built for March. Because there, there were multiple dudes that wanted the ball. Even though Rob didn't get it, it was Rob that had it in, in Baton Rouge that hits a shot. It was Reed this time that hits it. But soon, even though Rob didn't get it, and you know Rob Dillingham wanted that ball, watch Rob's celebration immediately as soon as Reed hits it. Like, right to him. Got multiple guys that want the ball, and not just want the ball, multiple guys that want the moment. That bodes well for March. Like, that puts you in a situation, and it, it, it is March. When you wake yeah. up, it's going to be March. Like, it's time now, and we see multiple guys that want the basketball. But, yeah, like, you, you were thinking there at the end, too, you know, with Hubbard and stuff, you're like, please, God, just don't let him get this ball back. And then we're, you're in a situation where, you know, it, it's a three-point game again, but there was a lot more time on the clock and, and stuff and considering fouling. Like, it wasn't the same situations that Kentucky's been in. But, I mean, he he hits a tough shot, and you're thinking right there is what I was talking about earlier. Win this in regulation. Do not let this thing go to OT. Like, get out of here, and Reed Reed makes it and gives Kentucky a win, which now you kind of – you added but canceled out, but you put yourself in a good position because you got another quad one victory, but it knocked the one at Rupp back to quad two but will probably have a good chance of being a quad one by the time Selection Sunday comes around because Mississippi State's at 31 in the net. So getting this, getting the road one was big because you actually have a chance to now pick up two. And you could be six and five in quad one games as early as this weekend, depending on how things go. But this is a resume, Jack, that they had two quad one wins going to Auburn just a couple of weeks ago. And now you're sitting at five with six right there on the on the cusp of it. So that that stuff that the, the resume has changed, and now you see Joe Lannardi move Kentucky up to a four seed, which now puts a three in play. If you finish strong, like it's completely flipped now, just in the matter of a couple of weeks. So Kentucky's put itself in position to really make a surge here, which you want to see peak at the right time. Kentucky didn't peak when they were playing well in December and doing things offensively. They couldn't peak. They weren't even close to being healthy. Still not fully one hundred percent. Getting close. Now you start to peak and start to hit your stride and figure out who you are and what you are going into that tournament. So,
0: so there's been a lot of talk about Sean the the nuclear nuclear five um, and that unit kind of setting the tone, you talked to Chris John Jans after the, uh, after the, the game and he brought up Rob and Reed, how them coming back in the second half with Kentucky down 13, kind of set the tone to, you know, kind of Mount the comeback. Um, that group obviously includes big Z as well, but it's that group of those two guards plus Antonio Reeves, um, one of the forwards, whether it's a do or, or Justin and, and big Z. Um, it's, it's grading out it's one of the most efficient and productive offenses nationally. Um, that, I mean, like, up, like up there, all time numbers, like stuff that we've never seen before. We got that conversation a little bit with Nate Oates, where he brought, brought that kind of nuclear five up and said, man, I don't care what they do defensively because there is not a single thing you can do on the, on the other end to slow them down. Um, it wasn't as cut and dry as that five-man group leading Kentucky to victory because DJ played a part and there were, you know, different kind of mix and match moments where Justin had been that guy, but then Cal kind of talked about how the physicality he just that wasn't his game. And it do end up it ended up being that guy in that. But it's that core. It's that group of the three guards, one of the versatile fours, and then Z as the as the five. Is that the answer? Is that the, because even in, uh, you know, a two a, a two point game for uh, Big Z, he still finished as a, you know, a, 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 with a team pl- team high and plus minus. So yeah is that something that you looked at and said, this needs to be the core group moving forward minute wise and usage wise? And how does that affect, um, you know, how, how does that change with Trey Mitchell coming back very, very soon. Cal said last night on his call show that he's going to practice the rest of the week, and we'll see uh, what happens against Arkansas. But whether it's Arkansas or Vanderbilt or wh- whatever, he's we we got to start talking about what that looks like with him coming back.
1: I think it is the answer, honestly, for, for now, for sure, and, and some part of the, the puzzle when Trey's back because you can get some similar stuff. To me, when you look at that graphic there and you look at all those guys, it's the spacing that stands out to me with a do who is showing he can knock down outside shots. Like this is starting to become a thing with him. Like he, he's a toe on the line away from having two more just, you know, last weekend. So like step back a step and you probably got a couple more, you know, made threes, but the spacing there with Rob and Reed and Antonio, and then the way Z spaces it. Reed Shepard's first made three of the game was in a middle ball screen. And Z popping and shaping up opens everything up because you have to be like aware of his ability to knock down the three Reed comes off of it hits a three like it's the spacing and the way it stretches that lineup stretches you out now when Trey comes back you can slide Trey in there for a do even you can slide him in there for Z leave a do at the four you get the same spacing you don't get the rim protection and the size at the rim, so to me, it gives Kentucky options in, with spacing. And with this group, though, it gives you something defensively at the rim. Like to me, of Ugo Z and Bradshaw, Z has a ceiling to me that can can get there a little quicker with with what he can do. Like you see some natural basketball skill to him that just things come easy. The vision, the passes we've seen behind the back, the feel that he has for the game. Now, the physicality side of it, still catching up. But at this point, like you you also have some physicality things with the other two as well. But you have spacing with this one, with high basketball IQ, with a great feel for the game, that the more he plays, the more comfortable he gets. And the more comfortable he gets, I think the better Kentucky gets. That's why I think that he's the answer to commit to it at the five. Down the stretch here. Like the dunk that he had early in the game, that was physical. That was a guy that was going and trying to, to put one on somebody's head. And we got to see some blocks early in the game. Like, he's going to make some mistakes, but I just feel like Kentucky's ceiling with him on the floor as a five is significantly higher than it is with the other two. I, I'm right there
0: with uh, with you. And, you know, we talked about the offensive upside with Z, but the fact that he's blocking shots and the timing is starting to get there and some you know. He's still very flawed and in, in, in a lot of different areas. But so is AB. So is Ugo. This is not a one or the other. Are you going to get a defensive anchor in Ugo or an offensive mastermind in Z? It's not as simple because Ugo takes chances and he kind of leaves some other guys stranded. He kind of you know takes chances, you know, high risk, high reward type of defender as well. So he's not even. And I mean. You know, to put it, you know, bluntly, he hasn't been blocking shots a, a ton in you know key moments either. So you kind of gotta just pick one and ride with it because I just don't think that we're gonna be doing this mix and match thing when we get into the SEC tournament, when we get into March, especially with Trey back. Right now it's a little different because you just kind of gotta make do with what you got, but yes, you know exactly. what you 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 know what you have in Trey. And it just does kind of feel like if you're going to pick the most consistent of the bunch. And I mean, look, in a in a game where he was one for five, took some really dumb threes. I mean, just some some of the decisions he, he made offensively were bad. But he also four rebounds, also three blocks, you know, didn't turn the ball over. One steal. He got, you know, he was just active. If he's going to provide that and kind of let everything else work around him well as a placeholder for Trey, When Trey does come back, you know, if those two are staggering minutes or I know you talked about them potentially playing together, it just feels like that's going to be the answer long term. More so than what you what you feel you can trust to get out of the other two. It's just, I mean, it's you know, not nothing personal. I I love everybody on this roster, but it feels like those guys give you the best chance to win, and the numbers are backing that up. There's a reason why we're talking about the nuclear five and what uh, you know, how unbelievably efficient they are, and the plus minus numbers, and the you know, the 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 usage rates, and what their offensive numbers look like when they were on the floor versus off. Like all the stuff is starting to back up, kind of what the eye test has been showing us with them, and. the the minute usage out of them is going up as well so cal sees it too clearly because he's leaning on them and trusting it as well so uh, i i think that's something that we're going to see a whole lot more out of and i i'm a big fan of it um what about dj wagner getting his first double digit game and just kind of the the way that he played with because again that core five is, is kind of stole the limelight and everybody's talking and falling in love with that. But DJ had his best game since before the injury, Bef- since before he went down with an ankle injury, this was by far the best that he played on both ends was making shots. And Cal kind of keeps talking about that and like, understand that he was shooting 40-, 40% before he, he hurt his ankle, like from, from three, he went through that stretch where he missed 15 straight threes and then made the one to open this game. And it was like, Oh, Maybe that's kind of the start of something, and he ends up going, uh, you know, ten ten points, three of five shooting, two for four from three, and two at two of two at the line with two assists. He was tremendous on, on both ends, and uh, he deserves credit because I think he fits into that puzzle as well. Where do you think he fits into that puzzle, Sean? How how would you utilize him, knowing the kind of everybody wanting to fall in love with that nuclear five five lineup?
1: Yeah, that's that, that's the thing to manage here, and the, the the biggest thing with DJ was he he made he made some shots like he he had confidence to take a couple and, and made a couple threes, got to the basket there on a, on a good drive and finish uh, was willing to give the ball up late and didn't just kind of lower his head and try to attack the rim and, and go. He got to a spot, made the play and, and kicked it to read. So was on the floor in crunch time. I thought that was a, a step in the right direction too for him. So navigating this is the tough part because you are falling in love with this nuclear five and this, this lineup and the spacing that it adds. So you, you want to see what DJ does here coming up in the next few games to see if he can continue building his way back to the guy that won multiple SEC freshmen of the week honors. Like that's a guy that has played really good basketball for a stretch. Rob Dillingham played really good basket, played basketball for stretches. Reed Shepard, like multiple guys have, it's just, you need everybody at full strength. You need a 2 to 3 week stretch of games to kind of see what you have and then you start you finalize your blueprint for what you want to do going into that final tournament. I don't know how this shakes out. I really don't. Like this is one where me personally, I I know where I would go and I would stick with what I'm doing offensively with Rob, Reed, Antonio while still giving DJ his opportunities and stuff right now. And then if he continues to break through that and get back to pre-injury form, then you have something there to go with. If if not, you've at least seen what you have without it. But those are the tough decisions that Cal's going to have to make over the next few weeks. The same situation we're talking about in the front court going to have to make some some decisions in the back court as well, Jack. And right now, I just think it's kind of too early to really tell because I want to see another full week of games of DJ before we really kind of set in what with what we're doing here now. One more note about the Nuclear Five. I didn't going into this year. I didn't see a Duthiero being the above the rim dunker spot threat, but he lived out of that spot and has lived out of that spot. And how many? That, that's multiple games for like three weeks now, where he's just putting people on posters and he's just dunking all over everybody and playing above the rim. That's a dude that was running the one last year on the road in Knoxville. <laughs> like, had the ball in his hands, and we were talking about how turnover prone and, and things he were. Yeah, because he's supposed to play above the rim and dunk on people and just be a physical beast. Like,
0: and how about John Calipari last night in his Colin show saying that he thinks next year, Adu is going to be up to 6'9, to potentially 6'10, brought up for the first time that he expects Adu Thiero to be back. That's kind of, you know, that's probably where we were all leaning. But you can start to see the vision. That it's It just feels like things are starting to click with a do where he wanted to be a guard so bad when he got here because that's what he played. I mean, he was a point guard at, at, at you know back in high school, led them to a state championship like that's that has been his identity forever. But when you grow six inches since then, you grow since six inches. Like you're not the same player back then that you were, like that whole Anthony Davis thing. Just because you have guard skills does not make you a guard. You have to embrace the God given gifts that you have physically. I mean, it's, it is remarkable, Sean. If you go to a game and you're sitting there courtside going down, you know, watching pregame warm ups, he's wearing the, the, you know, the Nike fit shirt or whatever. You can see every little freaking muscle in his body just like poking out of his skin. It's like, damn, kid. Like, you were a little string bean two years ago when you got here on campus and now you look like Thor like how did that happen in such short time and it's like his vertical he just he goes up and he just keeps le- keeps levitating to the point where like that's what we talked about when Reed missed him on that lob for the game you know for the game winning lob I'm like buddy I would throw it. Three feet higher and and just dare him to go get it because he has not missed a lob that has gone too high not once and every single time you're like damn uh, might might be a little bit too much he just keeps skying up and slamming it down he's a freak he is an absolute freak of nature and it starts it's starting to click with him all of the other stuff and if he's making shots get out of here man I mean just I, just get out of here
1: I still I think my favorite thing is the the day that he got his Kentucky offer when. Me and you, this is before we were doing YouTube streams, and this is when we had to record and cut and edit and everything ourselves, or you'd do it. And you, We text each other, and we're like, is this real? Like, is this a legit? Because we, we hadn't heard of a do. Neither one of us had heard of a do. Here, me and you are checking notes and trying to get information. We were messaging people, texting people in that part of the country, like, tell me what I need to know about this kid. And everything that you're seeing now was the stuff that was being told to us. His body—he's not done growing. He had this injury. He here's his numbers up to this point. John Calipari went and saw him, and now you kind of look at it and like the, he was the perfect addition to kind of close that cycle because the development that he had, the potential that he had, the body changing every single year. That's a dude that when you look at now, I think he knows what his role is, but I think he also knows what his future is. And when he looks at that, that's an all-SEC guy at some point, the way that he's pieced it together. The jump from sophomore year from freshman year to sophomore year, you're going to have a similar leap from sophomore year to junior year in a do. Starting to make shots, playing above the rim, makes tough plays defensively, grabs tough rebounds, adds some more skill and work on that. Man, that, that's a guy that... Next year, come back and and lead this thing. I
0: will say, if we're going to praise him and talk about him being a potential high-end draft pick down the road, and and he is, i love a do and I couldn't be more proud of him. He also needs to understand how big he is and understand how that could translate to legitimate physicality that he looks like he's a physical player, but he has not responded in certain circumstances that – you know, people have kind of gone out of their way to find his vulnerabilities knowing that he doesn't play like he's built. Like if you're going to be six, seven, two hundred and thirty 230 ish pounds, like know how to use your body and how to throw it around. And, and I mean, you got the muscle, use it. And we see that sometimes when he's attacking the basket, trying to finish around the rim, like he'll try to kind of flail around and, or, you know, just go trying try to draw the foul. And it's like, buddy, you don't understand that you have more force and physicality potential than anybody else on the floor. Once he realizes that he is the strongest, most athletic person on the floor no matter what floor he's on, he is going to be a lottery pick. Like that's the one it's a mental gap that he is missing right now that once he gets there, it's game over for college basketball. It is game over, he will be a pro. I'm hoping it's next year, not this one, because I want to enjoy junior year Aduthiro, because I think that's a scary reality for the rest of college basketball. But that's the one knock that I have on him. He is way too big and way too strong and way too athletic to kind of get beat around sometimes the way he does, especially on the defensive end, going up for rebounds. I mean, he should be a guy that's averaging seven, eight rebounds a game, considering how big and athletic he is. So. He's almost there. He's very, very close, but there's just a little one extra leap to his game that uh, I think when he realizes it, it's, it's it's going to be deuces for the rest of college basketball. Um, um,
1: one one more quick thing on the graphic that that Daniel has on the screen right now. Look at the efficiency of those two numbers. Oh, it's, just, it's, like, it's it's Antoni- sickening. It's absolutely Antonio Reeves was efficient. Like that's that's not and that's not a high volume night where he's just taking a lot of shots to get the twenty plus. <laughs> but Reed Shepard scores thirty two on fourteen shot attempts. That's ridiculous. Like that's that's efficiency at its best. And his only three misses were threes. Yeah, I mean he w- he was
0: perfect from from inside the arc, and he was still somehow otherworldly from three too. Like somehow raised his season long efficiency going four for seven from three. Do we understand how stupid that is? Like, do you understand how, as a fifty-five, what what is he? What's his? uh, What's he up to now uh, on on the year? I haven't looked since this. But for a for a guy that was already coming in as like the well, there's no way this is sustainable. Like being honest, talking to NBA scouts about him, they were like, "Well, right now he looks like a lottery pick, but when his efficiency kind of top, you know, tops off a little bit in SEC play, and when we start to see the real version of him." Probably going to end up coming back to school because right now he's 11, 12 ish range. But when he kind of settles in, he'll probably, you know, settle down at 18, 19, 20. And then when it comes down to NIL, it's going to be way too much to, to overcome and push him back to, you know, back to Kentucky. We're probably looking at a two and done type of career for Reed Shepard. Well, then SEC play started and he's just as efficient as he was when he first got here and now it's kind of gotten to the point where you're like well I hope that we're enjoying he's now he's shooting 52 percent from three on high volume 54 percent from the field 83 percent from three or from from free throw line while doing all the other stuff 4.4 rebounds 4.3 assists 2.7 steals I mean the dude is the dude is the goods I mean just the the I, I'm glad you brought that up earlier Sean when the game was on the line chance to win it. He's looking at DJ Wagner and imagine a year ago today saying that DJ Wagner was going to defer on the last shot of a game to good old London's finest Reed Shepard, four star only at Kentucky because of his dad's name, all the stupid narratives out there about him. Reed was going to be demanding the ball from DJ Wagner. Like, a year ago, we would have called you crazy. And then for him to actually hit the shot and win it and turn into a legend, you know, immediate legend, that is an unbelievable storyline. That's just the, I mean, he's, he's the goods. Like Reed Shepard is, he's him. And it's
1: a shame that we only have three
0: more regular season games with him.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Cause, uh, man, he's, he's just getting better and better too. Like, whoo, Boy, he's fun to watch. And the way that he closed that game, just making play after play after play, showed his athleticism on the block shot and and things. Like he got a massive steal there in the second half and, and got the breakaway, the and one finish and stuff on the opposite side of the rim. Just like I mean, just playing with his food, right? Like just any anything that he wants to do, like it's it's crazy. Like how how good that this kid is. And you and I watched him a lot. We watched him at Titans Rockets at the, the summer camp twice. We watched him in high school multiple times. We watched him on the AAU circuit, multiple games. Jack, me and you talked, and we looked at each I remember you looking at me. I can't remember where we were, but we watched him in so many different venues. But you looked at me and said, that kid's going to make it. Like, that kid's going to make it at Kentucky. This isn't just a come to Kentucky and and sit a couple years and then play. But even when you said that, I didn't sense, and I don't think you even thought that this would be be what it is because I certainly didn't think that he would be this good.
0: So so I want to tell a a quick story. We're going to turn into, like, story time soon because I – we promised us a, a Starkville story uh, if Kentucky went down to win this one. So we're going to have to tell that one. Uh, plus we have a, just a ridiculous story of the drive home uh, that, that we want to get to. But uh, so Reed Shepard was incredible in high school at North Laurel, obviously just uh, otherworldly career there. The, you know, it, they're going to name that gym after him one day that down in North Laurel. Like that's just who, who he was. The knock on Reed nationally though, was that while he was good in AAU events playing with Midwest Basketball Club, he was very good, But the and they won a ton of games. But the issue that high-level evaluators had with Reed Shepard was that he was such a selfless basketball player that cared so much about just making things go the right way that he never was that guy to go hunt his shot and to go demand the ball at the end of a game and and go do it. We saw him do it countless times at North Laurel because he was the dude and that's what you are supposed to do. But in those moments playing around other elite talent, he never did that. I watched him a hundred times and said, Reed, shoot the damn ball. What are you doing? He had this tendency to get paint touches and he would get off of his feet, Sean. How many times did we say, he's got to knock that habit where he'd leap And he'd look around and two hands swing it to the corner or kick it back for the trailing three, which is, it would result in assist, but he's already there at the rim. We've, we, I mean, we saw, we see him do it every single game now at Kentucky. He just, he had this tendency to over defer and it got to the point where I said, I think he's going to make it at Kentucky because he is such a team first player. He's going to play early because he doesn't play losing basketball. He is going to do things to contribute to winning, but that's going to result in 14, 15 minutes a game where he's going to average four or five assists, but he's not going to shoot a ton. He's not going to be the go hunter shot guy. That's never been him. So there was a camp, um, MBPA top 100 camp in Orlando. I was there. Uh, the first two days of camp, Reed was by far the worst kid there. By far, not close. And it wasn't because he just wasn't making shots. It was because he brought in that same AAU mindset that he that he played with back then in a camp environment where you have to go out of your way to hunt shots. If like everybody is playing, you know, it, Rob Dillingham would average a hundred in that camp because that's it's a Rob Dillingham type of environment. You have to prove you're a dude in those type of settings and go get your shots. So Reed, happy-go-lucky lucky Reed, kind of goes in there, does the same thing, and everybody else is playing ISO ball around him, and he gets shoved to the corner uh, to, to the point of no return. And it got to the point, it got back to me. I, I had a conversation with somebody around the program where uh, a coach reached out to Reed Shepard, it was a Sunday. Sunday was the last day of camp. I reached out to him on Saturday night and said, Reed, you are a Kentucky basketball player. You are a Kentucky signee, not because your dad is Jeff Shepard, not because your mom is Stacey Reed, not because you're Mr. Basketball in Kentucky, not because you average the numbers that you did. You are a Kentucky Wildcat because you're a damn good basketball player, and I need you to go show it. Go Go kill somebody. Go prove that you belong because right now, being totally transparent, you're one of the worst guys there because you're not not showing yourself. The last day of camp, he goes out there and just obliterates the competition. It it had national scouts and media, different guys that I was sitting there talking to just jaw-dropped, drooling, watching Reed Sheppard play, going, who the hell is this kid that – we didn't see yesterday or the day before. Where did this come from? And that was always my concern was, would he ever have that that killer mindset, that killer instinct once he got to Kentucky? Would he always live by the AAU ride or die mindset that he had for so long? Where it was great, he won basketball games, but could he be that guy that eight seconds left, give me the ball, I'm going to go for the kill and win you a basketball game? I never I I truly never believed he could ever get to that point. So to see this moment for him to go take the ball and kind of take matters into his own hands and win the game, that's the Reed Shepherd moment. That's that's him proving that he is that guy, and that's him proving that he is a a lottery pick that um will go down as one of the
1: the, the next great one and Duns to come through the Kentucky basketball program. Yep. He will. And I watched him make a turnover on a final possession at uh, one of the Adidas events that I was at a couple of years ago. And one more thing stood out to me. He takes losing hard. You don't like it. And it was a play where he shouldn't have even given up the ball. He should have actually just gone and made a play. And I thought that was the most encouraging thing about seeing it Tuesday night was the hands and wanting it as soon as he threw it in and he wanted it back. And that, that says a lot about a guy that, that wants to go make a play and give his team a win, and, and he did it. Like, he, he put that thing around the money and the, and the celebration. Like, you lose one at the horn a week ago, you win one at the horn a week later. Like, that's basketball. This time it bounced in your favor, and you leave with a road victory, and you're feeling a lot better about where this team's at than what we were. Not that LSU really changed a ton about what we felt. It was more like one of those, like, God, why? Like, why did you blow that one? Like you were in position to win it. Don't let that one slip away, but they, they've bounced back. They've taken care of business, put themselves in position. Reed Shepard's a massive part of that. And I, I don't know if
0: you went back and rewatched the game, Sean, but there was a moment also when they were kind of starting to gain steam. He had that coast to coast and one flip and they call time. Or it's a you know foul, goes to the free throw line, quick timeout in the huddle. Uh, Reed goes over to the sideline, Sean, and you see him go run, run, run. Like he, he mouths to the coaching staff and says, we got them where we want them. Let's, let's do this. Like, let's, let's ramp up the pace. Let's not play to their half court style. Like let's, let's really try to get them out in transition and finish the, finish the job here. And that was part of the final stretch that kind of got that. All right, let's boogie then. Like we got the horses, let's ride. Like, let's make this happen. So yeah, Reed, Reed won the game. Reed Reed is the, the, is the reason why that happened. Obviously there was a lot of impact guys that contributed to the win. Antonio Reeves, obviously 21 points efficient DJ, all that. It doesn't compare to what, what Reed uh, did and is continuing to do. And what I expect him to do down the stretch uh, to lead Kentucky to a run. So is the story time? Is it is it is it about that time, Sean? Do we have anything else we need to get off our chest about this game and what's coming up?
1: No, because I think this was more just big picture takeaway with where Kentucky's going. Like I think that how they won this one was probably the, the storyline, you know, just showing the resolve and putting themselves in position and making shots. Like I will say this like I think Cal's finding a really good balance offensively. Mm-hmm. Like he's been mixing floppy in at the, at the right times and for the right guys. And I think a lot of it's just because Antonio Reeves has become a, a, an elite off ball score. Like floppy. The, the reason Kentucky's had a lot of guys get drafted in the league, Jack, and, and like all these guys that you go back and you think of Tyler hero, all of them down the line that, Devin Booker, they they all played with the ball in their hands a ton in high school. But then to get to the league, you had to become a scorer off the ball. And a lot of it was shown in floppy action. Making reads, finding where you get to your spot, taking advantage of what the defense gives you and becoming an, an elite off-ball scorer. You saw Rob Dillingham do it out of floppy the other day. You saw Antonio Reeves do it and get to the middle third of the floor and get to the lane and shoot some floaters. Like, he's mixing it in at the right times. It's just Kentucky's not just becoming dependent on it like it was in the past. Because it was just a Kentucky's down four and they're going to spend 26, 27 seconds of shot clock here and floppy and get something late. Kentucky's still doing some playing in space and attacking and transition and, and getting downhill and doing some of the other sets, the little chin set that they go to, their Spain action. All that, but mixing in floppy now. I think there's a really good balance of what Kentucky wants, and when they want to go to someone, they're going to something like that, and making sure that they get it. But they're getting, they're making really good reads out of it. It happened at Auburn. It happened on the road at Starkville, and they actually got a lot of good out of that out of that look. And Cal talked about
0: that that when things kind of stalled out a little bit in the first half. Um, where they were just kind of looking for a shot, looking for a response, when it kind of felt like the, the wheels were falling off a little bit, he kind of started going back into his bag of maybe go-to's you know go that have at times gotten a little tiresome and wanting to kind of add some flavor and some flair at times. But to his credit, he, he kind of picked and chose his spots, and they worked really, really well to throw those daggers, to put Antonio Reeves in position to make those shots, to put, you know, Reed and get, you know, get open shots, get open looks without turning too structured, if that makes sense. Like they kind of balanced that fine line of still getting their random stuff. But still, when when push came to shove, they needed to, to draw up a shot. They knew where to go and when to do it. And it led to some some pretty in, in, incredible responses. All I mean, from start to finish, I mean, it it just really felt like every time Kentucky needed a go-to bucket, they found one. And that takes, I mean, that takes some guts, and you got to make it. But it also says something to, about the coaching staff to put them in position to have those clean looks to just kind of keep firing back. Don't let go of the rope. Don't let that thirteen-point lead just or deficit kind of just let it get away from you. Find counters, find different little holes and gaps that you can you know kind of chip away and, and and work your way back into the game and that's exactly what they did. Whew, awesome stuff. That was a blast really um, all timer, but we 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 got to talk a little bit about our all- timer. Um, let's take a trip down memory lane Sean. Um, so it was the Dante Allen game down in in Starkville. and uh, that was the year where everything just was just terrible. Just the world shut down and you couldn't just no human interaction. No, uh, everything was on zoom, no interviews, no nothing. I mean, you, you were basically just isolated in your own little bubble and that's all you really had. So we go down there and by chance, we are staying in the team hotel that they're staying in down there, obviously with the precautions and all that stuff where, Uh, you look at another person, you're like, Oh God, I'm going to die. Like it it was just that time we were right in the heat of battle with all of that. So we see the basketball team and try to keep our distance because God knows that the last thing that that team needed was a freaking shutdown because of our stupid asses. So we do our thing, kind of have our own night. The, the, The game is the next day and we go down to the lobby. You remember we were going to get a drink or something, Uh, but we go down to the lobby and kind of circling around and we see the, the workout gym, the workout facility. And we see Dante Allen in there jogging on the treadmill and just by himself. It's in the middle of the night, like at 11 ish, 1130 o'clock, whatever, whatever it was. And we go and we were familiar with, with Dante and, um, you know knew his family well and kind of follow his recruitment, Kentucky boy. So we knew him very, very closely. Um so we knock, mind you, Sean, um uh, I was a little intoxicated. We had had a couple of drinks and celebrating kind of just being down there. I think that was our first road trip of the year too. So we were kind of excited to just be out of the uh the the bubble of home being out and about a little bit. So we were celebrating a little bit. And we knock on the door and like wave at Dante because he knows us. And we just expect him to wave back. He gets off the treadmill, runs over to us, opens up the door and like comes out and starts talking to us. We're like, Oh, we're not supposed to be even within 15 feet of these kids right now because of the current circumstances. And Dante wants to come over and talk to us. And not only does he want to come over and talk to us, I'm a little drunk.
1: You explain what happens from there, Sean. I, I, I don't even know if I want to explain everything, but Jack gets like, you could, Jack was trying to process the whole situation, how it was playing out. Also kind of like not wanting to get in like, oh crap,
0: I could get in trouble with UK if they were to somehow walk by and see this right now. So like I'm processing in my head that while the little buzz, like while having some yes. dr- you know drinks in me. So like all of that is processing that, but more so I'm saying, oh crap, I could get in a lot of trouble right now. If yes. this were to, if UK were to see this.
1: And, and Jack decides to, he, he's trying to, to have a conversation. I'm having a conversation, but we're trying to get out of there as quickly as possible without being like, awkward about it but then jack makes it super awkward (laughs) and say it how you said it jack because i think you still can
0: (laughs) so i i was close with a lot of the people around dante but the one guy that we had a really close relationship with was was his uncle joe and you know, in that year where Dante was trying to get minutes and was trying to get shots. And there was like, it was just a lot that went into it. And this was his first big moment. And his uncle had talked to me before and was like, hey, Cal said that he's going to like, this is going to be Dante's game. They were dealing with some injuries and different things going on. I think this is going to be Dante's game. And that's why
1: we were there because me and you were calling for it because they had been so bad. We're like, why is this the one kid that's not playing? That's why we went. So, But we had heard going into
0: that that through his uncle that Cal had kind of t- sat, sat Dante down and said, hey, this is going to be your time. See what you can do with it. See what you can take advantage, how you can take advantage of it. So that was the story in my head of, hey, I have a close relationship with your uncle. He had relayed to me that this was going to be a big game for you. Congrats, man. I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I'm wishing you the best. That's what like sober Jack would have relay how he would have relayed that information but for whatever reason in my head it turns into your uncle is really proud of you and that was the context of it like i didn't i didn't elaborate i didn't add to it and you could tell dante was just processing processing it like okay thanks like what what am i supposed to do with that information your my uncle is proud of me like i'd hope so he's kind of my uncle cool, bud. And it just, it, it turned. And then I like tried to very quickly ex- over explain while again, still having drinks in me. Like, so everything was, I got nervous so quickly and I was like, ah, oh, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing this. And Sean's kind of like taking a step back. Like,
1: but I, well, I looked oh at man. you when, when you said it, you were like, you, you, it was like, you were about to say something so deep to him. Cause you're like, man, your uncle. He's proud of you, and then I'm just like looking at you, like, go on, <laughs> and, then, and then you just look at me, and you're like, elaborate, Sean, yeah, tell tell it. him tell him
0: why his uncle's proud of him. Like I was in my. It was it was such because in my head I was like we just got to get the hell out of here. I'm not even supposed to be in the same room
1: as these kids right now. Was
0: I was just in the the conversation as fast as possible. Like I I was over
1: my shoulder waiting on somebody. I was like somebody's going to pop around here and see this. And we're. Why was he down there by himself? I still to this time I I don't
0: understand how like everybody else was in the room like supposed to be isolated in their own things and he's just down at the gym working out by himself. Like, I don't know if they took shifts of like one player every 10 minutes goes, runs a mile. And like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know how it worked, but it was just 1145 at night in this random hotel in Starkville and Dante Allen's working out by himself. And I just, I wasn't expecting him to come over and try talking to us. And then as it was unfolding, it was like, ah, crap, this could not be going any worse. So, um, so Dante if if you if this story gets back to you I'm I'm still I'm I, I still have nightmares from that night of A not trying to get give you covid and shut down the season thank god because it was right before the biggest night of his freaking college career the moment that he kind of reached legendary status in Starkville became the house the, the hump became the house that Dante built could you imagine if in that moment we never got that moment because he ends up getting freaking COVID gets sick the night before because of our stupid asses. That was the one thing that could not happen that I, all I could think of in my head was this is the, this kid has been waiting for his moment this entire time. And we're going to be the reason why he gets sick or has that positive test or something. Cause there's just so, all of it was so new then. like, we didn't know any of the, no. God, I, I remember hard.
1: every time I remember every time on that trip that I would sneeze or something in the car, I'd be like, it's, well, we're dead. We're dying. We're, it's it's been a good run. We're we're dying. Cause, uh, no, but that, that was funny. And then we, then we became like super weird kind of in a way, because we were like what we, we were kind of watching him prepare. He watched film in the lobby and it became a really good story and stuff that we shared on sources say, but we were like, I still couldn't believe that that awkward moment happened the way that it happened, and you know what's crazy is I actually I saw Dante like two weeks ago oh, really? when I went when I went to Western Kentucky, and you know I, I saw. You telling me his uncle's proud of him. I thought about it, but then I was like, I <laughs> I, was like, I, I figured he wouldn't. It, it had to be from you because it, it means more coming from you. Yeah. What what a
0: moment. That was one that we we had talked about the other stuff kind of around it seeing him do film, kind of knowing that there was a big moment coming, but that was like the one key detail that we could never leave out because I wasn't we weren't supposed to be talking to them at that time. So. Yes. Glad glad that he ended up not having any not letting that moment get taken from him because of us. But you know, he also came out oh, over and talked to, he went out of his way to talk to us. So like I mean, would it really have been our fault when he came to come say hi? Whatever. Glad that was, that was fun. I'm glad we finally got, got that section of the story I'm, out, out of I'm there proud of you, Jay. And, and to, I'm, I'm glad you're proud. I mean, your, your uncle would be proud of you too. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the look he gave you. was like, I, I hope he is. <laughs> Thanks man. Um, all right. So now that was that Starkville story. Now, I don't even think you know this story yet, Sean. So I'm excited to have you experience this in real time too. So the trip down to Starkville was just a disaster because it's Starkville and the drive from Southwest Tennessee, the two hour stretch there from Southwest Tennessee down through Tupelo and into Starkville is just, you see nothing. I mean, it's just straight roads of like 10 mile stretches of no restaurants, no fast food, no anything. Like the extent of the food choices that you have is a random BP with a Chester's chicken and a freaking Hunt's brother's pizza in there. It's, it's just ridiculous. There's, I don't know how human beings live there. There is nothing, not just nothing at all. So we get down there, our hotels in Tupelo, I got get kind of pissy, like, wow, this drive sucks. There's nothing. It's been boring, blah, 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 blah. But we get to camp, you know, we get to the game. The atmosphere's cool. Good vibes. We're winning. You know, it, it ends up being a great experience getting down there. And I thoroughly enjoy it. The hump was a great experience that, you know, everything, you know, the, the people were nice. And I, I kind of felt bad while we were there in Starkville on campus because everybody, they made it, they made an unbelievable trip for us being welcoming and making it homey and all that stuff. So the next morning after the kind of the the celebration wears down and we have to realize that we're driving back through all that nonsense that we drove down, uh, down through to get here. So we start our trip back and Steven punches in this, uh, you know, GPS coordinates and it's a different route than the one that we took down there. So like maybe it's a scenic route, maybe it's something different than just straight wanting to drive off a bridge somewhere, scenery, maybe it's something different, maybe it's something more exciting. So we're driving through the wilderness where there's no cell phone signal. There's nothing. I mean, we're just in the middle of nowhere. It's a two lane road, one way, both ways just winding through just tunnel vision of nothing but trees for like 30 freaking miles. It is, it's insane. Just nothing again, but with now no phone signal now with no other scenery, if you're stuck behind a car, that's all you're going to see. You're going to see the butt of that car for 30 miles. And that's what we live with. So we finally hit this point of like kind of sort of civilization where we have like half a bar on our phones. And we, it's like this little kind of town area and we see a fire truck just blocking the road, just sitting there blocking the road in front of us. And we're like, hmm, I don't know about you, but that don't look like a place that we can go. Looks like we're going to have to take a detour if there is one. And there's this local guy, clearly been there, done that. Like that's what he's the town guy. And we both roll our windows down and he's, you know, super friendly. And he kind of does the, well, you got to go down, take a left it, uncle bernie's and turn right at Mama's cafe and if you've gone this you've gone too far like you know one of those type guys so he tells us kind of the loose directions of how to find the loophole around and, and you know kind of take a shortcut to p- bypass all the 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 wreckage and all that so the path that we go down our gps resets and there is a one lane like it says turn here and we're like there's nowhere to turn here. This isn't a road. This is a this is a dirt path with gravel and horse dung and like there's there's there is no road here. And it says that we were supposed to go a mile and a uh, one point three miles on it. it. Yeah, Steven wrote it. It literally says dead end on it. And we both look at each other and go, but the map says that there's an exit on the other side. And it's like the perfect detour that if we get past all this stuff, we I mean we'll we're going to be past it. It's going to be perfect. So I end up saying, Steven, bro, I think you should just do it. Like I, what, what do we have to lose at this point? We're in middle of nowhere, Mississippi. Like, what do we have to lose? So we turned down it and Sean, I'm telling you the road was this wide. It was uh, the entire way, the entire way. 1.3 miles of, hitting these bumps and rocks and we're like, where in the absolute hell are we right now? And what's hilarious is I forgot at, as it was all unfolding that Steven had somehow, he was supposed to be in a, a, a Zoom meeting, uh, a staff staff meeting with some, some people and Drew Franklin was on it. And I forgot that we were on Zoom during this. So kind of listening to that meeting, we're just focused on surviving this road of death. And as we're going down it, we hear Drew and goes, Steven, are you even on a road right now? (laughs) I'm like, no, we're not. We're trying to survive right now. It was, it it was, I, I, when I tell you that we were on old McDonald's farm and scared for our lives. And I, I had to tell Steven, I was like, bro, you're going a little fast, man. Like, your undercarriage is going to rip apart from, un- from from underneath you if you drive fast. He goes, yeah, but I don't want one of the people f- from the farm to come out and shoot me. Like it was one of those, like, do we we go fast enough to not get shot, or do we go slow enough to not break this car down as we're going through the bridge to Terabithia to the other side? It was the most ridiculous, and I'm like, as we got to the end, and thank God it was not a dead end, and there was we finally hit pavement. We like had this moment where we're like, where the hell are we? To where we even have to drive through these farm backyards to experience it was it was the most ridiculous drive. The it was most Starkville drive of all Starkville drives. And it just like it it made it kind of like added a charm to just such a ridiculous drive down there, the experience. I thought back to the Dante Allen story and all that stuff. I'm like, man. There is just something about Starkville that love it or hate it. It's special. You know, it's there's something special to these trips to to Starkville. So I don't know if Steven's car broke down by the time we got back because it was just a, an absolute disaster. Mud was flying all the way. We're driving through puddles and mud pits and all. It was just, it was ridiculous. It was the most ridiculous drive of all time. Um, but we made, we made it back. We survived
1: and, now we have uh, we live to tell the tale of it. When you when you stopped and asked for directions, I'm surprised the the guy didn't look at Steven and be like, "Hey, you're the Evo NXT guy, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> I know
0: you. I know you. You're you're the guy. You're the basketball guy. The one that hates the stupid yellow, or neon orange balls. I know you. St- uh, just uh, the gift that keeps on giving, Starkville, Stark Mississippi, Vegas. where. Reed Shepard becomes a legend, and we have the aftermath of all that. Dante Allen becomes a legend. We have the the before all of that. We have the the after Reed and pre pre Dante post Reed. That's how Starkville will always be remembered. I I just want to know what the next road trip down there is going to look like because there's got to be something crazy that happens and something that I I just hope that you're a part of it because you know you miss this experience. I feel like you got to make up for it on the next one.
1: Yeah, you didn't have anybody to sit next to at the the fire pit outside.
0: I forgot about that too.
1: <laughs> you got to explain that one because you're the one that looked like an idiot. You're the one, one that you're the one that called it out though. I don't even remember exactly what the situation was, but what I don't was even, it? I don't remember how it happened, but I was I mentioned something about we were there were two fire pits, and I got up and was standing next to the one that wasn't on, and I was talking about, and you're. <laughs> do you remember how it all happened no you gotta tell it i don't eat i don't remember but all i remember is i was warming my hands and it was i don't i don't know i thought the other one for some reason would be warmer because there was a fence was a <laughs> wall so i walk over to it because we were sitting next to one but the wind was just killing me like i, I was like this is I, i'm not even warm like what's the point in sitting here Keep oh you mind.
0: said you said i wonder if that one would, would be warmer <laughs> And I said, well, I would hope not. It's off, dumbass. I think that's, a, I think that's the exact word. I think <laughs> it's exactly what she said. I hope not. It's it, it's off, dumbass. And this was well after or, we
1: saw Dante in the gym, too. So it was a few more, few more in. Bur- bourbons? Yeah. And I, I don't remember it now. I, I literally got, I said, I wonder if that one's warmer. And he said, it's not even <laughs> on. Like, and I said, and Why would he, it be
0: warmer, Sean? Then,
1: Why? What
0: makes you think minutes. that would be warmer? It's off.
1: But the thing, but the thing with Jack though is I spent 10 minutes trying to get him to let me explain myself because he was just like, That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I have I'm not even letting you try to explain this. And I was like, No, there's a there's a wall there, and if we turn that one on, it's gonna be warmer because the wind's not gonna hit us. But Jack wouldn't even let me get there. It took me like six months to get him to like even let me tell him what i was trying to get to oh good lord
0: oh all right um what day is it i need to even remember what there's what ads, what ads we have to do to, it's i got it we're good Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. right? Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150. If your bet wins, bet on all of your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash pilgrim and shoot your shot FanDuel exclusive and official sportsbook partner of the NBA 21 and older in present in Kentucky. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets which expire 7 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. While we're um going through some of our favorite partners. You shouldn't have to worry when you are buying tickets to your next big event. Now isn't the time for guesswork with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat and their best price guarantee. Game Time does all of the hard work for you. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last minute seats, find exclusive. Exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase, Sean. I know um, you're a big fan of our friends at Game Time, and um, I'm, I'm sure the Kentucky fans that found their way into the hump this past weekend got the Go, Go Blue chance going. Uh, I'm sure they uh, in- enjoyed y- using Game Time, and I'm sure they're going to for the last two home games of the season at it, it, it RUB as
1: well. Yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. Is you got two more chances to see this team at Rupp Arena, and, and game times the place to go to, to get seats for those two games. You know, Pack up two consecutive wins here. Good teams that they've beaten back to back. Not as good of quality opponents, but make the atmosphere good so you don't have a slip up like they had last year at home against Vandy. Like, bring the environment, get the get the game time, get tickets, get seats, and then. uh Plenty available for that game in Knoxville, here coming up too, and that's going to be a big one to close the regular season. Man, if you could if you could slide some blue into that trip to Knoxville, just to give give them a, a,
0: a, like a half sense of home down there, just to just to know that you know th- they got some support down there, it will absolutely do wonders. We saw that down at Auburn, we saw it obviously in Starkville as well. So make sure you do that. Game time guarantee means you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference in the same section and row for less. Oh, I actually read that twice. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code KSR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code KSR for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Sean, a uh, couple big games. We can't just let this slip. Just because they're quad three, quad four, you can't let that opportunity pass uh, this team by. Oh, what, what we got there? We got we got a winning recipe there on the bench with a a very very big game. As you guys look to make your own run at, at Rub, what, what's going on there, Sean?
1: Yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm not sure what the situation is there. We're talking about it, but uh, Daniel, I'm I'm assuming you got that off Glycod because that's a uh, that's definitely from the the TV stream. Okay, <laughs> three minutes left. I know what I'm talking about we lost the timeout and I have no idea how, like we, we didn't, I don't, we didn't call one and they were trying to tell us we had a certain number left. I don't know where the mix up occurred, but the official book had us for, you know, one timeout fewer than what we actually thought we had. Uh, we obviously it didn't come down to, to needing it in the end, but I'm there trying to get somebody to look at, (laughs) at the book and, (laughs) and, and see what's happening. But, um, no, we, we got we got a huge win last night. Had to go on the road and win a district opener, do or die, in a true road game versus a rival against a team we had beaten twice and just played them a couple of weeks ago in a tight one. A team that was ranked consistently this season, top fifteen, top twenty in the state. He had three teams ranked top fifteen, top twenty in the state this year out of our district, including Sayre, who went to the all A this year, to the lead eight of the all A. Like I mean, a loaded district and here we are playing Brian station tomorrow night at Henry clay at eight o'clock for a district championship. And we've already punched our ticket to the 11th region tournament, that which I think is by far, you know, the toughest region in the state. And uh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. The, the quality top to bottom in this region, but I'm definitely excited to uh, have an opportunity at eight o'clock tomorrow night to, if we get a win to climb a ladder and, and win a championship and cut some nets with, with some guys. So, Definitely excited. So if you uh, if you can't make it out, you can watch our game on Glycod tomorrow night at uh, 8 o'clock. It's on YouTube. Just go to Glycod's page and they'll have a, a live stream of the game. And uh, we got a good group, Jack. You were there for the season opener. And and last night we looked a lot like that team that you saw up there at St. X in the opener. Ashley Smith says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how loud were you? On
0: a scale of 1 to Cal, how loud were you yelling at that ref?
1: I like I like those officials. Honestly, I was uh, I was a two. I didn't uh, I didn't lose my mind over it in that situation, but it what it bought was a couple of extra minutes to kind of gather ourselves and talk about what we wanted to do right there too. So a little bit of uh, gamesmanship in that in that moment.
0: Adam Elkin says if they made a movie about Sean Smith and his coaching career, I can't think of anybody but Leonardo DiCaprio playing him. <laughs> You're way more handsome than Leo, though. That's 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 the only thing that's missing. Uh, we're we're rooting for you, man. It's gonna be a good run. We're we're gonna be following along to Rupp. I I hope that you can't make it to the NCAA tournament for every, for whatever reason or March or SEC tournament just because you are in the middle of your run and we have to deal with those scheduling conflicts. I I hope that's the point that we get to because it means good thing good things are happening on your
1: end. So that, that's what we're all rooting yeah um i'm excited for it and i'm I'm credentialed to the sec tournament and i'm planning to be there as much as possible if i have to just commute back and forth for it but um got a district championship on my mind tomorrow night and then uh, an 11th region hope hopefully get back to rup i'd love to coach in the building that i've covered numerous teams and sat on the floor talking basketball post game with you and it, that would truly be something special that, that's what kentucky high school basketball is all about is one team gets to do to cut down the nets at the end of the year, not six, one. That's so what it's all about. We hope Kentucky gets to cut down its own nets as well.
0: Three games to go. You got Arkansas on Saturday, Vanderbilt for senior night uh, the following Wednesday, and then the trip to Knoxville Saturday, March 9th to close out the regular season. What do you need to see, Sean? What's the... Um, you know, the, the go-to keys for the last couple of games that you really need to see to, you know, kind of continue this momentum going into Marsh and really feel
1: good about their chances to make a run. Just more guys that are, want the moment to, and, and some more content, just continue the continuity that we're seeing with, you know, Rob making big shots in moments, Reed making big shots. I want to see Z continue to develop and, and take steps forward at that spot. Like, a lot of the stuff I'm paying attention to now, the last week it was about consistency with with winning. Not as much about it now because I, I think Kentucky will be better than the next two teams on their home floor. And those, if they perform, they win both of them. If they lose, it's Kentucky's fault. Like I think, I think that's safe to say. But now what I'm looking for is consistency with Cal, too, to kind of start seeing what direction he wants to go with some of these lineups and rotation pieces is the starting lineup. Does it continue to remain the same? Because I'm still concerned about starting games poorly in the NCAA tournament. You can't get down 12 to 3 in that tournament. Like, you can't risk it. Like, sure, you can come back, but it took all the way to the end in Starkville for Kentucky to do it. I just want to avoid that situation if possible. I mean, Kentucky how in- is a good game with the slow start offensively? It's still got points on the board. How important is it
0: for you to Kentucky? for Kentucky to be a Friday night start
1: in Nashville? It's important because I just don't want to see this team have to play four. I want to see them get there and get that Thursday off and get to Friday. Now, this is a team that can do it, and you get a chance to just keep adding wins and stuff to your resume. But I would like to Friday – because I'm putting value in winning the league tournament this year. I know there's probably people in the comments that aren't and there's probably a lot of people that that don't. And I I had never valued this tournament winning it until the recent stretch of play in this program, just because I feel like something good happening would be the perfect kind of, you know, appetizer to the real thing. And I just I just think that there just needs to be some winning in this program, winning when it matters, something that because you had a chance to win the league. You put yourself in a bad spot here to to do it by losing a couple of games there, especially, you know, given the one away at LSU and and things, and then losing to Tennessee and losing to Florida Rough. Like there, there were some ones that you would have had a chance. But to me now, I, I want to win that league tournament if I'm John Calipari. And I want to be playing my best basketball going through. And it's been a while. It's been a while since can it's been a while since Big Blue Nation has taken over Nashville or wherever they played on a Sunday afternoon. And then you get selection Sunday three or four hours later. Those are the fun days at Kentucky basketball, and I, I want to experience that again. So I think that's why it's important to get to Friday because I think it's going to be hard Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then legs and stuff on Sunday, and then trying to regroup and go into that tournament. You could play on Thursday. So I think that's a lot to, to do. So hopefully they get to Friday. If not, it's going to be harder to win it, Jack. But I still think that there's value in making a run in Nashville this year.
0: What does that do to the NCAA tournament seating if Kentucky is able to win out and is able to get to Sunday? Obviously, the championship game kind of has been a a polarizing topic. People just kind of going back and forth on whether or not the committee actually values that at all but say they get to Sunday while winning out what do, it, are we are we firmly in that three seed line is there an outside chance at a two what does that look
1: like well i mean you, if you get if you get a road win let's, let's say they win out and you get a road win in Knoxville then in this closing stretch you've had three quad one wins there you had a road win at auburn you just you just dismantled alabama You went on the road at Starkville. You get get these two coming up. But then you're getting probably a couple more quad one wins on a neutral floor in Nashville added to your resume. So I think getting to Sunday puts you at the three. I think Kentucky is a surefire three seed. If they win out regular season, get to Sunday. If they lose to Tennessee, win the SEC tournament, then I still think there's a three in play. Probably more a four. That game in Knoxville and the next two are the big ones. The SEC tournament for me, Jack, is like the last couple of years. You and I've talked on this. It was about seating. Not worried about seating when it comes down to to getting to Nashville. You you take care of seating to me. The next three games, Nashville's about taking care of yourself and getting yourself in position. And I want as many opportunities as I can. A couple of wins there. I'm, and I'm not talking Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm saying win Friday, win Saturday, get to Sunday, get in that competitive environment, get in a championship atmosphere, get a taste of it, and then take that over to the league tournament or the NCAA tournament, regardless of what happens on Sunday. I just want to see this program back playing where it belongs on Sunday in the SEC tournament. I think that is more of a step in the right direction before you can get to the next one. Let's make it happen, baby. We got a big, big one coming
0: up on Saturday. Got to take care of business there. Let's make it happen, Sean. This was a lot of fun. Good little storytelling session. Get some, get some stuff off our chest. Uh, this was a blast, man. Um, let's go ahead and close out. Where can fans find your work? You can follow me
1: on Twitter at GBB Country.
0: Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Go subscribe to KSR Plus. We have a blast over there. Make sure you subscribe here on the KSR YouTube page if you are watching this and are not subscribed. Why not? Make sure you're liked. Um, like like this video. Keep on sending those comments in the in, into the section uh, comment section. We read all of them. We try to interact as much as possible. Uh, so appreciate each and every one of you joining us here on this Thursday night, Sean. This was a lot of fun. We'll be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.